Welcome to the Mentality Podcast. This is a podcast with Steve Kershaw. He is the hotel manager at Wheatwood Hall Hotel, and he has brought together a tribe of people who care about well-being, care about mental health and physical health. He's brought a driven athlete up here, and he's connected with Mentality and me for quite a long time now. Since 2016, Wheatwood Hall Hotel have supported our journey, and Steve is a massive advocate for this journey that we're all on. Steve comes on today to share his experiences with mental health, which he believes has been spurred on by COVID. Steve has struggled with debilitating anxiety and depression as of late, and he comes and talks about the realities of that and how he's getting through it. He's an amazing character, and the truth that he's speaking on this, I think, is going to be playing a huge service to people, especially men in and around Steve's age. He's 50-odd and he's coming on and he's speaking so openly and truthfully. And I think, yeah, I think this is a big one. I think it's incredible to have these open conversations and I hope you enjoy it. Well, Stevie boy, let's turn that down. It's loud, isn't it? Deafening, boy. It's a bit better than that, Stevie. How are we doing, mate? Steve Kershaw of Wheatwood Hall Hotel. I'm good, thank you. The father figure to many broken rugby league players, I feel. Yes. <laughs> I mean, many a broken rugby league player. You've fallen into that, haven't you? Yeah, I seem to be a pillar for the fallen. For the fallen. I mean, you've, you've created and we've created a great relationship, mate. Obviously, us two as friends, but... I think over the years, um, we first started coming up here with Lee's Rhinos, didn't we? Back in the day. Yeah, that I'd eaten a bit of food. 2016. 16. So when the training grounds got flooded, wasn't it? Yeah. That was a big start of the relationship for you, rugby, Lee's Rhinos. And then I think mentality sort of came alongside that, didn't it? And it's sort of grown and we've been able to, yeah, do more and more work with each other. But now you've got driven athlete here yeah it's becoming a hub for well-being i feel a hub for well-being mental health and yeah yeah it's like it's got its own it's got its own life at the minute we would all tell i think as, as a as a business and through links with sport you realize the varying diversities that people need mm. both from a customer base and then as you learn about those people and see them as real people, not just someone you see playing. They're no different than anybody else. Mm. Is, is that something that shocked you, or like what? How was that? How was your perception of that changed? Yeah, shock's the right word, particularly in rugby league. You know, a sport I grew up with as a kid from Halifax. You expect a professional game to be just that professional, and and I, and I think rugby league as a sport has a lot to answer for. I don't think it it, it, it has its players at the heart of its well being. I, I think it's it's oh, like all business, it's commercially driven. And I agree. But no other employer could treat its employees the way that professional rugby league does. And then as you scratch the surface of other sports, you find the same in varying different sports. And then you go from one end of the scale to the other when you look at how protected Premier League footballers are. And then the commitment that's made by those clubs to make sure that both mentally and physically they're in the best place they can be, 
you then get to the other end of the spectrum. And sadly for me, rugby league sits at that end where, where the well-being of the player and the physical and mental well-being of them is almost secondary to getting them on the pitch and getting them playing. And so that's a big, big shock. Do you think that's do you think that's because you, you mentioned business is commercially driven, right? And like anything, sport is it's a it's a big business, isn't it? Because it's professional, as you said, mm -hmm. right? So do you think that's because you mentioned football, the difference between football and rugby? Do you think that's because of the value that players actually are? You know, like you can go down the rabbit hole and thinking, you know, players are commodities, you know, players are assets and you know, a lot of people say players are pieces of meat, right? But the value of that piece of meat in terms of wage and in terms of how much money you can get out of them, compared to football, you know, there's a lot less urgency to put something into something that's got less value. Do you know what I mean? Is that what is that where it's at? Is that why is that why we see I think if you take if you take rugby league, the same sadly is now happening at club level in rugby union with clubs going bankrupt. Mm -hmm. The pressures on the finances that they have don't allow them to have the luxury of having players on the sidelines, in rehab, in training. They can't rotate the squads. So therefore, the pressure is placed on, in fact, some of their highest value commodities. Whereas in most other sports, those commodities are protected. You can protect them. And you can rotate players. Rugby league, unfortunately, the squad depth at Leeds Rhinos is higher than, for example, at Wakefield mm. or at Lee or wherever. There's just not the money there. The wage cap is restrictive, but even if the wage cap was lifted, do those clubs have enough money to spend? The answer is clearly they don't. If you look at the economics of it as a business, there aren't many clubs can be making a profit. And by definition, that places a huge amount of pressure on them. And that pressure is to win. And they're doing that at the cost of the players. They're making players come back quicker than they should. They're not going through the correct rehab. They're playing with minor injuries. They're playing with major injuries. They're not allowed that rest time. The season's got longer. The yeah. game has got tougher. The athleticness of the players has got tougher. The the impact on the body's got tougher. So there is absolutely no respite for those players. They finish and within three weeks, four weeks rest, they're back, back in pre-season. And then it's that build-up again and the pressure to finish in the top six to get to the grand final. Because without those wins, without that money, it's not, it doesn't it exist. It doesn't exist. You can't yeah. get it from your supporter base in most clubs. You know, Headingley as a 23,000-seater capacity stadium. I've been there to games, 9,000 people. The running costs are not covered by the sport itself. It's by all the add-ons, the conferences that they run, the other events. It's the same dynamics as any other business. You need to be able to break even to invest. And if you're struggling, and this industry has gone through a lot of bother, the hotel industry, we struggled financially because of the impact of COVID. We had to reduce our staff. That impact is instantly put back on the staff. If to work longer hours, customers aren't as happy. It's no different in professional sport. The more pressure you put on people because of money, then the bigger impact it has on the customer base, on the people themselves. And, and lots of sports that don't have that financial stability, yeah. that money coming in, they're all in the same position. And, 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 it's, and it's a never-ending vicious circle. It's performance at the sacrifice of health in it instead of you know, performing because of your health. You yeah. know, I, I wonder, I do wonder the um, the area to turn that around. You know, you mentioned in sort of breaking even, you mentioned investing, you mentioned sort of the financial pressures, which makes it hard for anyone, let alone to look after a group of people 
never mind themselves. You know, it's like it almost is survival in it. You know, you're, yeah, you're, it's, you're not. It, it's survival. And I think a lot of people from the outside looking in, for example, at professional sport, must think what a great life sports people have. Mm. When you get close to them through business and then through being involved at some levels, you realize that that's not the case unless you get into that very elite level of sport. In fact, in some cases, some of these people are paid less than a normal working man on the street, but mm. week in, week out, they're expected to perform. Not only have they got to perform at a high physical level, but they're then getting berated by the supporters because they think they're in this cushy job. When in fact, in a lot of non-elite sports, people are not being paid the money that they think. And you really, well, I mean, I didn't know just how poorly paid some rugby league players are, for example, or how difficult a lot of people breaking through into athletics, into triathlon, are having to work part-time as well as work and train mm. 20, 40, 60 hours a week just to get by because the funding is so lacking. It, it makes you wonder actually how some people carry on doing it because yeah. the, the easiest thing would be to pack it in. Yeah. But I think within rugby league, the, the model, the money that they spend promoting the game, the way it's promoted, it's it's become devalued. It was always a working man's sport when I was growing up. You know, it was more part-time than professional. Yes, it was professional compared to rugby union. But but the pressure's been placed because of all the money that's not there now. Mm. The, the, the expense of running a business, the expense of medical care for players. And I just feel... When I first met a lot of the people from Leeds Rhinos and there's some fantastic people involved and you see the players coming in week in, week out, having to have the rehab, going through what they're going through, you look and you think, well, they're not going to be able to play this week. Mm. And then you go to watch and they're out there playing and you know that they're being held together by bits of tape, bandages, injections and painkillers. <laughs> in no other business could you treat people like that. You know, you'd have yeah. to give them time to recover. And then at the end of the career, what happens to them? Mm. You know, the, the, there's how many rugby league players walk away sadly from that game with no idea what they're going to do in life. The money that they've earned doesn't go very far because some of the careers are finishing in the mid-20s, some mid-30s, and it's just such a tough game. And, and, and the groundwork isn't done at the beginning of the career to encourage people to do things later on in the future of their life because they all believe, as probably did you, that you were going to have an extensive rugby career. You don't think about that unthinkable, that something can happen that can stop you playing. Smacking your tracks, one day you play, next day oh. that's your career over. And I, and I think a lot more work should be done to help people. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's as I've got to know the sport, as I've dealt with different teams, as I speak to people that are in rugby league cares and the groups that help people, the older riding thing that I've really seen is the lack of getting people at 16, 17, and not only concentrating on developing a rugby league career, but something that if something goes wrong, a fallback. Mm. That means that those players have no choice but sometimes to continue playing longer than they should at the risk of later in life yeah, I, I mean, having having injuries that are going to inhibit them. Yeah, it's it, mate, it's essential, and I think I think about the environment where what it would have been like before RLK RLK started, right? And I can imagine it. He, like RLK Francis Stevenson does a great job talking about transition, and they've got a transition manager now. So during the time of the career, you're actually into it, and as much as you can, and as much as you're interested in doing it as a young man, you're bouncing ideas off, and you're speaking about this next step and and 
to be honest, it's just a huge transition anyway when you're playing because it's a short career and you need to start thinking for yourself and understanding what you actually want to do after or what actually something else that lights you up. Maybe it's the business side of it. Maybe, maybe it's the media side of sport. Maybe it's something completely different. But you do need to have a conscious... Yeah, someone helping you think for yourself because a lot of players go through the career and they, they don't think for themselves so they get to the end and they don't have the thing that's given the structure the purpose the meaning um, the fitness the health the nutrition and because they've never had to think and, and ingrain that sort of muscle of health and well-being you're left sort of trying to invent stuff for, you, for yourself so I mean RLK is a you know I see them certainly progressing and, and, and doing things better and there's, there's there's a huge way to go and I think it's not just exclusive to sport I think it's I think it's everywhere I think that there really does need to be like holistic program I don't want to say a program because I think it should just be weaved into life to be honest I think it should be weaved into life where people can feel that it's not either good mental health or seriously bad mental health where you need to take work you know, take time off. I think it needs there needs to be an environment and and a place that you go to that allows the the upping and downing of of human condition because that's what it is. You know, it's it's mental health is just how we feel all the time. Mental illness is something that dominates your life and and takes away what you deem to be normal. It's it's huge, man. It's really big. Well, men, men, mental illness. It you know, it's not, it's not new. No, it's been there a long time. I'm in my mid fifties now, but it was something that was never, ever spoken about. Mm. You know, when I was coming up through school, when I first started work, when I went to college, when I went to university, you never heard anybody speak about mental health. It mm. was always something you knew existed, yeah, but nobody sat down and talked about it. Yeah. It was certainly never discussed with me at any level in my career whatsoever. And, and you know, it affects a lot more people than I think even now people realise. I think there are people walking around who are struggling, who have certain mental health conditions, who actually don't realise that that's yeah. what they've got or yeah. are trying to come forward. And, and you know, we've created a culture of pressure on people. Mm -hmm. You know, the pressure now in life is a lot greater than when I left school, for example. You know, the, the, the rush to suddenly go to university is a lot greater now. Yeah. The rush to find a job that can pay in the 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70,000 pound bracket has suddenly become this realism that everybody wants to chase after. Yeah. We've become a, money, a real money-orientated society and you need money to live. And we've created a society where young people have got this instant worry, what am I going to do? And they want to do it on their own terms. Yeah. They want to be their own boss. They want to have the meaning. They want to have the purpose and stuff. And it's like it has created that that gap on it. There's a, almost no gap for the journey. Yeah, there's a huge gap. I think there's things that are better now than were. But when when I left school, you had decent career advice. I went to college and trained to be a chef. It was full time. Mm. There were no pressure to pay for my fees. There were no pressure to earn money. You got a part time job you had a good life. You enjoyed growing up. You had time to grow up. Yeah. And at the end of it. You know, I went in the Navy, but some people got jobs as chefs. They were well paid. The conditions were absolutely awful. They were torturous. They probably would be banned nowadays. But there were no rush to grow up. But when you talk to people that went through that, they actually enjoyed it because mm -hmm. they'd learned to grow up. 
And then as you progressed your career, there were room to move. You could diversify. Whereas now that, that seems to all be gone. People, they don't go to college like they used to. Mm. Most of the courses for all trades, part-time apprenticeships, it's almost slave labor. Mm. And, and, and I personally don't agree with it. I think people should be paid for doing a fair day's work. I mm. think people should be given opportunities to develop. And if you make a mistake growing up, you make a mistake, you learn from that mistake. People encourage you and guide you. I wouldn't be sat here where I am today at people not taking the time to help guide my career and look at me and say, actually, you you, you might be good at this. Why don't mm. you give it a go? People are scared of that. And, mm. and, and actually, the people leaving school and universities are actually scared of taking the wrong decisions when they shouldn't be. Yeah. You'd be able to make a decision. Yeah. And if you make the wrong one, so what? You make the wrong one. Mm. Somebody should be able to take it to one side of a nice chat where I explain the different routes. Yeah. But there's this passion for driving people forward and that places a huge amount of problems on people. You think it's because we've been like swept up in this, like, like you say, the money sort of dominant society where people, it's capitalism, isn't it? It's just like the machine of capitalism is just driving people to want to make money. And, and I guess what confirmed it to them is just everywhere they look around, like people talking about money and, and doing things that, you know, they're, they're advertising these lives, aren't they? Which sometimes aren't realistic. They're not realistic and they're not sustainable. I mean, and, and you know, everyone wants to be dressed in the best clothes, wear the best gear, drive the best car. When in real terms, you just need a bit of time to, to learn life, to like, to find out what you're doing, yeah. spend your money going out with your mates. You know, a lot of life skills have been lost by the invention of this sort of surreal world we live in with information technology, iPhones, the communication, sending text messages instead of just actually speaking, speaking to someone. To people, yeah. The art of communication and the ability to look someone in the eye and have an actual decent chat has been lost by people's... People's I well, Apple Watches going Apple off. Apple Watches going <laughs> off or, you know, your, your constant life, you know. Yeah. You see people permanently fixed to the phones. I get yeah. emails when it would have been so easy for people just to come and speak to me. Yeah. And and it creates an impersonal fear, world. It? It's a yeah. bit of a fear, isn't it? Of of I think people lose the art of conversation. And like the the people speaking on Twitter that if they spoke in the street, it'd be fine. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Just, and it and it can come across, you know, emails, Facebook, Twitter, you read some posts and your skin's cringing. Yeah. But really, that ain't what they meant. And if you speak to them, it's actually totally opposite. And it's just that lack of impersonality. You can't you can't gauge what somebody's actually feeling when they're typing it into a keyboard. You know, just sitting and talking to people. I have loads of conversations with varying people here at different ages. And young people are nervous about now face-to-face -face contact, about dealing with people. But it's a life skill that's absolutely essential. You know, sending emails and hiding behind a phone. It's not really going to do you any good no. confidence-wise. No. Because then when you're put in that position, you've not got those skills. And, you know, we're all guilty of it. We all have accepted modern technology, even me. But you've, you've had the foundation, though, of, of dealing with people day-to-day, -day, speaking to people, not emailing and not working from home and not be on social. Do you know, you've had the, you've had the upbringing where it's been person-to-person. -person. Yeah, because of, of my age... You know, if I wanted to speak to a girlfriend, I either had to walk two miles to a phone box and put 10p in, or I had to go walk and knock on the door or wait till I saw her at school. Yeah. 
you know, if I wanted to go and kick around with my mates, I had to cycle the house because yeah. some of them didn't have phones. So yeah, they have. Yeah. And, and I think there's a place for it. It's better to ring your mate that lives up a three mile to South Barbham and know that he's actually going to be in than get there, find out he in. But I mean, it kept you fit. But it gets you out as well. But, but it got you out. And, yeah. and you know, a little bit of that's been lost. And, and I, I, I think it's great because I can ring you and I know you're going to be in and we can meet up or whatever. Yeah, yeah it's brilliant. But... I much prefer, as you know, sitting with you talking to you than sending long emails. It's so much easier. Yeah. And and the more engrossed people become in modern technology, the lack of social skills that they develop. Mm. And I think that really impacts mental health and well-being as well. Mm. Suddenly you've got no contact with anybody. You know, you've got no one can read how you how you really feel. No, You're no. hid behind a screen. And and I think contact. You, you don't have it, chance to feel normal. Is, is, when you speak with people and you you know, you trade stories and you, you trade how you're feeling and asking each other how they are. If you're boxed away and you're behind a screen working from home and you're feeling anxiety or you're feeling discontent or angry or whatever, it just, it, it, it doesn't pass on. It doesn't move through you, does it? It just, it just keeps, because you don't have that person-to-person -person contact. So it's, mate, it, it's massive and, and I think it's, it's worthwhile thinking about, especially for workplaces or how that just gets woven into to life instead of everything being tech and everything being comfortable for people yeah you know um but, but you mentioned like you growing up steve and we, with mental health and, and mental illness you know that t talking about that spectrum of being sort of an abstract concept that no one spoke about and thought it didn't really relate to them but the more and more i mean i go on with this story with mentality and um, speak to people and understand it and look at the research and understand my own experience of being a human being. I I think one of the big things that help as a society, which I think all the stuff that we've been speaking about just before, is just to be able to tell the truth, mm. you know? And you go back to the, the sporting stuff that we're talking about where the perception is, everyone knows it, living the dream, don't they? Everyone thinks living the dream and it's like, how can you how can you be depressed? How can you feel anxious? Or how can you feel any of these negative things? Because they see you living the dream, which in essence, living the dream means that everything's amazing and everything's rosy and you wouldn't get anxious, you wouldn't get stressed. And it's almost like you're in this this mythical being who's living the dream and living this sort of life which is you know, what everyone hopes for or what everyone dreams to do, you know, when, when they're younger. But I, 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 I'm trying now to just, just tell the truth about my experience because I think the more and more we tell the truth, the more and more balanced society looks and the more and more we understand each other and the more and more we understand people's experience of life, you know, experience of mental health because... Otherwise, everything just gets so polarised and people think that their life's shit or they think, you know, they think their life's shit. They think a sportsman's life's amazing, not knowing any of the details. And it just, I think it just gets further and further and separated. So like, I think for you to, to come on the podcast, mate, is great because you've had, I mean, you've had 40 lives that I don't think we'll get through today, <laughs> you know, but you've had so many different lives and now you're someone who's seen a perception or you've seen a professional sort of 
setups and you've you've spent a lot of time in professional sport alongside working in in the hotel industry. And I think you you you're a straight shooter. You know what I mean. I think you're a straight shooter that 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 that, that speaks truth. And I think you even you obviously even speak truth about how you feel, mm-hmm. how you have felt. And I know that you're someone who tries to work things out. And so, could you tell us a little bit about your experience, mate? What you know, what what you're going through now, and then maybe we can sort of go back a bit further. Well, right now, mentally, I'm probably going through one of the toughest times that I've had in my entire life since suffering from COVID in January, 2020 mm. from being an incredibly fit, active person, six months after contracting COVID, I could barely walk and I lost the ability to sleep. I couldn't concentrate. I didn't have a clue what was going on with me. And for all the medical tests that I went through, the varying five MRIs, lung scans, heart scans, brain scans, blood scans, you name it, it all came back that there was nothing wrong with me, but there was something wrong with me. And medically that then put a huge amount of doubt in my mind. I I believed I was critically ill, majorly ill. I couldn't do what I used to do. Varying doctors diagnosed me with having anxiety. I went down a route of treatment for anxiety and every single type of medication they gave me i reacted badly to i couldn't get out of bed some days i felt incredibly ill permanently i was on a emotional roller coaster i could be the happiest person one day i could burst into tears the next day and at the same time i had to try and continue to work and be normal yeah um, as a manager as a manager and, yeah. and put a brave face on it and i did face up to it i knew there was something wrong and i'm lucky I can, and I, I don't believe it's a weakness to speak out. And, and I did speak out to my family, to friends, to people like you, to Nigel Flattery, who you know. I'm lucky that I have private medical, so I, I got help through private medical, through speaking to a psychologist. And even to this day, I'm still recovering and trying to work through. And actually, they believe that I developed a type of depression that was basically caused through an imbalance within my brain of perhaps past trauma in my life or through COVID mm. that, that then led to anxiety. So at the moment I'm trying to deal with that through counseling, through positive thinking and through varying different types of medication to just try and uh, regain a balance to deal with it. And, and every day is a different day yeah. and I have to take every day at a time as a struggle. And I've had huge support from 99.9% of people. I don't keep it a secret from my senior management team or staff. Mm. I speak to them about it because there are other people within this industry that I know that are suffering. Mm. We have an in-house counsellor who we put people in touch with. I'm no different than that. So I don't think it's right to not be prepared to put myself forward and say, listen, it's not a weakness to struggle. Uh, the only downside of doing that is there are dinosaurs who will tell you you're weak. And uh, I just view it and one of them got told very least, it's not me that's weak, it's you that's weak. Mm. It, it, you know, the last thing you want to hear when you go to someone to express how you feel so that they're aware of how you feel is them turning around and telling you that you're weak and that you yeah. need to sort yourself out. Yeah. You know, they're lucky they didn't get a slap. It, it, you know, there's no stigma be coming forward and there shouldn't be. And I've received... I can genuinely say there are only there is only one person who 
showed huge negativity towards the fact that I were honest about how I felt. Mm. And I told him how I felt because they were part of the problem mm. about the way and the demeanor and how they conducted themselves around me. So, you know, most people understand. And I think coming forward and speaking, so when I'm not feeling great, people know why you're not feeling great and don't just think that you're being a twat for the day. Mm. You know, it's a tough life to lead. I never expected to be in this position. I don't know whether I've suffered from it before or not. Do you, think, yeah, do you think you've had a flavour of it before or not? Yeah, I do. I, I do. And I think, you know, when my dad passed away when I was young, I went through two years of hell. And the way I dealt with it was through drink and having fights with people. So, yeah, I, I, I think I have. But I didn't know what it was, so I didn't speak about it. I dealt with it. I'm lucky that I've always had a good network of friends, I think, as well, though. And I think yeah. that's really helped. There are things that I could do to take my mind off it. You know, one of those things is not thinking about it, isn't worrying about it. So I think the fact that I was occupied in roles that kept me busy, that I had a good interest in sport, that I played a lot of sport, eventually, yeah, I got through it. I think as I've got older and I'm not as active and I've lost that ability to be as active, you sit there worrying. And, yet, and you know, like when you're 56, 57, you sit there worrying about your longevity as well, whereas when you're 30, you don't. You know, suddenly you lose a few mates, which I've done recently, that have passed away, and you, you realise that life could be a short journey, it could be a reasonably long journey, but it's a bloody tough journey, yeah. and it's a really unfair journey. Mm. So, yeah, I, I think it has been there. Do I know what the catalyst is? If it has, no, I really genuinely don't, and I've thought, and I've thought hard about it. I, I always thought I had a really happy childhood no problems growing up i've always felt that i've had a great life and, and and i've done a hell of a lot with my life and an interesting life so i don't know but what i do know is now it's very real to me and uh the worry that it causes me and my family have seen it in me it's debilitating mm -hmm. and, and you know am i a strong person yeah i'm a strong person yeah. but it doesn't matter i've still got depression i've still got anxiety yes it's getting better than it was 12 weeks ago yes it's getting a lot better than it was six months ago but there are days that i struggle mm. and there are little catalysts that can set me off and it doesn't have to be much and try to think positive 100 of the time is mentally draining and and i have days just like anybody who's in my position where i find it a struggle a real 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 struggle and uh if it won't for what, my network what's that struggle like though like how, how do you feel is it is it do you feel like you can't cope overwhelmed or like how what does it come out for you i i, I just want to be away from everybody yeah i mean that's how it comes out for me you know i, I want to just sit on my couch and i'll watch some crap yeah while my mind is running at a thousand miles an hour making me more and more and looking up on the internet while i feel how i feel like i do that's how it manifests itself for me that, that self-diagnosing yourself thinking that you've got some irreversible disease that you're never going to get out of mm. then that makes you think it then those pains become real yeah. you know and it's just an ongoing vicious cycle and people think it doesn't exist that it, it's real it, it's very real and you know and then you go to bed you don't sleep well you're worrying about the next day and the first thing you do when you wake up is saying how do i feel today mm. and it all starts again mm. and it's breaking that cycle and to do that i think yeah potentially a lot of people i think do need counseling they need some medical intervention because you've got to break the cycle but you need a solid network of people around you that understand that can bring a bit of 
humility back to your life that you can have a laugh with, that you can, you know, I, I totally lost my sense of humour. I, I could barely crack a smile. I could barely laugh at a joke. I mean, yeah. it, nothing. I mean, it, 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 it made me feel dead. By it, yeah. Yeah, it made me feel dead. You know, things that I would have enjoyed. Going out, eating, meeting friends, go to the gym, you know, go to the cinema, all those things that I enjoyed. Going watching Leeds Rhinos, it, it, I withdrew from. Mm. I, I didn't go out. I mean, I literally came to work, did my job, put on a brave face, went home. Some days, yeah, it were fine. Other days, I'd, I'd break down in tears when I got home and, and I had to come out somewhere. Mm. And, you know, I had to bring my wife and she'd come home. Yeah, I'm getting through it now, but it's been a bloody tough battle and it ain't, it ain't over yet and it could be with me for the rest of my life. But it's, it's having that support and that structure and try to work through it, be positive, you know, mm. and I've received some youth support from, yeah. from people that I've met through sport, actually. Mm. A lot of them who have been in that position at a lot younger age than me, and that's really helped because you realise you're not on your own and, and yeah. that there's a hell of a lot of people. And I think people do need... And I know mentality and, you know, I've been behind it since you started and since even your own struggles and meeting people at it. And the biggest thing is other people just being there for people, yeah. being able to share that experience and help and not be judged. Mm. You know, no one, but no one wants to hear you're weak. No. That's, that's probably the worst thing somebody could say to me at this moment in time. You know, you're weak, you want to sort yourself out, give you a shake, you're a man. That's, that just don't stack up with me. Uh, it's like there's, I don't know. I just think I've been actually looking at it a little bit about employment and um, how it coincides with mental health and how there's a big gap in between where people need it, but then they feel ostracised and victimised or whatever for if they feel, you know, really, really mentally ill and, and like it's debilitating them. And I just, yeah, I just, I, I just think, you know, you, you mentioned it, they're the people around you. I think that's that's the biggest thing that you can have, you know, and and, and not feel because people can feel like a, you know, that you need to feel like people first, don't you? Yeah. In, in, before whatever you do, you need to feel like people first. And I think there's this mythical sort of ideal or probably mold that people hold on to. Maybe it's from being in the war when there wasn't a choice, or the the sort of the constant striving and never sort of resting or, or never sort of accepting that you've got something going on, whether that's just something that's coming into your life and it's distressing you and it's causing you grief or whether it's something that is more debilitating and is an illness and something that is taking you away from perceived normal life. But I speak to, I speak to many people and, um, you know, I think I'm lucky because I can have open conversations with them and I probably, to be fair, I don't find myself, I, I probably find myself in a bit of an echo chamber where people are open and they can speak to me. But I speak to many people who are 40, 40 plus and um, have lived the lives of what we're talking about. You know, they've lived the lives of thinking it's weak, you know, to to feel distress and to not carry on with stuff. And there's a balance, you know, there's a balance and, and there's worth in... in you know, this sort of rites of passage as, as being a man where you just you just stare adversity in the face and just keep going and keep going. And that that's like I think there's 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 a period in life where you need to do that. But I think that's not the only formula that you can go forward with in life. I think a lot of men get to 
hopefully I've had my fair share of flipping crises at 40, midlife crisis, 40, 50 or whatever. I think a lot of men get to a, a stage where that old way of doing things needs adapting, you know, and, and people need to open up and people need to feel like they've got people around them to support them, which is great because you've got that, Steve. But I think people need to find the ramp onto that. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, I, I think there's... It, it it's it, it doesn't sustain itself. It's not sustainable. What I'm trying to say. Many people I speak to who'd who'd be the complete epitome of being the um, the the mythical macho flipping no nonsense types of bloke that that do struggle and they do feel it. They've trained all that sort of way to be in life, but they're not trained that way to connect and be open and and be vulnerable. So. You know, I think this conversation, mate, and, and you telling us all this for what you're going through now is massive. And I, I understand, I probably, I think it's probably alleviating so much of it because you can. Yeah. You can, oh, you know. Well, I mean, stress, stress is one thing, you know, like everybody feels stress at different levels. You know, the job I do, it's incredibly stressful and stress has never bothered me. Like no. the, the work stress, that's why I do what I do. It's the stress that a lot of professional sports people have, like yourself, you know, that stress of going out and performing in front of the crowds mentally, it can actually be good for you. Mm -hmm. So I think that side of it is really good. It's when people start confusing that they're stressed with having anxiety mm -hmm. or having depression, and there's a blurred line between that. Mm -hmm. And I think it's it, it's having that ability to actually sit and talk to people. And obviously now with modern technology, and, and you've lost that face-to-face -face contact with a lot of people, that's that's easily missed by people. So they think that something, they're just getting stressed, burnout, you know, when in fact it isn't. Mm -hmm. They're actually starting to get anxiety. They yeah. maybe have got a bit of depression. Yeah. I had an employee the other day who just over a coffee, nothing to do with him coming to see me. It was actually about something totally irrelevant to work. Started telling me a, a story that, to me, sounded very similar to my own story, that he'd had all these medical feelings that he'd had thousands of tests that they found absolutely nothing wrong with him and i said to him look have you ever spoke to your doctor about anxiety or depression mm. or why would i do that i said because i said you've got exactly what i were feeling like and, and i said but it's just a conversation rav and he said yeah but you know i, I don't want to talk about it and i said but you're gonna have to talk about yeah, it yeah. and we spoke oh, God, for yeah. you know we spoke for an hour and you know is agreed to go and speak to someone now whether it is that or not i don't know and if he wants to come and talk to him after me there's an open door there for him but it just shows how you can ignore things and it don't get any better in fact it yeah. gets worse and then for me the sadness of that is that people then take things into their own hands and sadly we lose people because yeah, of it yeah. and you know i've known people that have do that i know you have mm. and that's that's a, a bloody sad position to be in for people and and you know some of that self-peer pressure, not being able to talk, you know, not feeling because you're part of a manly rugby team, you can't come out and say that because your mates are going to take the piss yeah. or that your were mates are going to take the piss. That that That's now society's moved on. And in the First World War, it happened, people got shot and, and now all of a sudden there's an apology for it. It's been going on for a long, 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 long time for probably as long as man has existed, you know, yeah. that fight or flight mode. Yeah. And... and is it a weakness to feel depressed? Is it a weakness to feel, you know, that you've got anxiety? No, mm. it's, it's just it's just what happens to people in life, mm. and and that's part of our DNA, our makeup. 
and I think it affects a lot more people than people really know. I think yeah. it's I think there's a lot of hidden facts within it. Do I think it's treated well? No, I don't. I, I think doctors are too quick to pre to prescribe people SSRIs and other drugs without really looking at the root cause. And yeah. I think the NHS is that stretched; it can't provide the support it needs. But I think friendship, good companionship, being able to talk openly about it, so important. And then other people can share their experience. That makes it a lot easier to deal with because you're not as frightened to go and speak to people. And that's to any speak to doctors, as you know. It's not something new to them. It's not yeah. like you're the only person that's ever yeah, been. Yeah. And, and But you think that as a person. You don't want to go because you're yeah. thinking what, what they're going to think. And there'll be many a doctor that suffers just as we suffer. And being able to just go, and once you've had that first conversation, in a way, that one first conversation really helps. It's like when you speak to a counsellor, the day you're going is the worst day in your life. Mm -hmm. You know, you wear it, you panic, you don't know what you're going to say, then you sit there and suddenly it all comes out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that hour session, two-hour session, it's finished in minutes. And, the, and then you think, fucking hell, I'm normal. Yeah, why, 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 why did I worry about yeah. this? So, <laughs> you know... Because there's another layer of suffering in there. There's the, yeah. there's the suffering that you have, the anxiety and the depression and the thoughts and the feelings and... But then on top of it, there's the layer of, why am I like this? When I look around, there's no one else that feels like this. So what, what you know, and then you ostracise yourself and you beat yourself up a little bit mm. because you feel like that. But going to see a counsellor and, and, and having these conversations, I mean, they're, like you said, they're, like the doctors, they're sat opposite you thinking, to be fair, three quarters of the population are probably going through this now, mate. You know, like that's what they're thinking. And completely have a compassion for for how you're feeling that's the standard i think this is the standard that we have that that can allow us to go through adversity and burst through it but also it's the standard which we can't always reach because we're human beings that we have that we have in our minds do you feel like you've had anxiety before like when you think back in in your life do you think of moments where you thought it was normal but actually fucking all that that i might have I might have felt anxious. yeah I, I do I mean, you know, even even moments at school, mm. you know, when we school, coming up to your exams, for example, that perpetual worry that you had. Mm. I mean, I know everybody probably worries about exams, but that just a little snippet of the anxiety that for a period of time, for two, three weeks, you felt ill as hell yeah. and you got over it. Was that normal, wasn't it? I don't know. Mm. When I speak to certain friends now, they didn't feel like I felt them, yeah. for example. You know, a good friend of mine who I'm still friends with at school or from school, when we were on holiday a few weeks ago and we we're talking about growing up at school and starting work. And like me, he, he recently found out he'd been suffering from depression for a huge amount of time in his life and obviously try to identify where that came. And he thinks it stems back to long before manhood as it would be that yeah. he was at school. When I were in the Navy, there were times I became incredibly anxious, you know, mm. about certain things. And that makes total sense, doesn't it? You know, when you were looking at changing your career and how bits pan out at work and stuff, as anxiety and depression played a part in that, when you start looking back, you can correlate yeah. periods in your life where perhaps you did, not as prevalent as it is now, but nonetheless there. But you're not aware, or I wasn't then, you know, that that, that were it. And, and you know, my vent for it as I was growing older, when I was in my mid-twenties, my vent, when I got 
to that point in anxiety where you don't know where to go. Drink were a great resolver for me, you know, after a shift, get absolutely battered. I lived in a little village in Scotland, bony Englishman there. It didn't take much for one of them to put fun that the night ended in a fight and then you felt a little bit better about it yeah. the next day. And that aggression so came out. That's a coping mechanism. Yeah, it, it, I People mean, not don't think that, but not, that's not not what not one I'd recommend. But <laughs> but you know, not, nonetheless, it was a coping yeah. mechanism. I think going out for a game of golf and because it didn't go your own way, beating the living crap out of your clubs to the point you had to go and buy a new set. Mine, mine manifested itself in aggression. Like mm -hmm. that, that's how it managed itself, and. You know, for me, that's a key to get now that I can feel it building up because I can feel like an anger that builds up. Now that takes me weeks to get over that will then eventually make me ill, whereas then it didn't. So, yeah, for me, I can correlate to the fact I probably had it forever, mm. but it's manifested itself in this last two years significantly. But is that because I've suppressed it in and didn't recognise it? Is it because I've suppressed it in and didn't deal with it because you couldn't, you know? Yeah. Nobody, nobody can tell you. But what I do know is now that it's out, now the beast is out of the bag, you know, yeah, I want to deal with it head on. And I'm going through rehab. I'm doing everything that I can do to look at what helps me with the hope that when I sit with other people, I can share my experience. And we've, we've talked about yeah. it, you know, that ability to just get back in the gym a little bit. Yeah. Suddenly I feel great while I'm in there. You know, it, yeah. I might not feel so great after I've finished it, but at the time it feels great. Starting to interact with people again, starting to put music on and listen to music again, forcing yeah. myself to do things that I knew that I enjoyed or that I know I enjoy, that, that I'd missed mm. through, through feeling like I felt, through hiding away and just... Uh, addressing it mm. and, and you know yeah i still have the odd bad day and and and, and maybe that'll be something forever but my outlook on it is it's not something that i want to live with that i want to yeah. deal with and if my experience helps anybody that's a really good thing and i've met some of your rugby colleagues who have gone through exactly the same thing some now who are still going through the same thing and, and it's nothing to do with being a man no. You know, some of these people are more manly than most people that ever walked down the street. Big arts trapping guys who probably could get hit by a car and the car would probably come off worse. <laughs> but, but in their own way, they're all dealing with these demons. Just a quick one, Mentality has an amazing counselling service. If you weren't aware already, we are meeting the needs of people. We're meeting the needs of people who want to speak to someone, who feel like they are ready to stop doing it tough, to stop doing it on their own. I think counselling comes in when you just feel like you don't know the way forward for yourself. I felt like that many, many times and I still get counselling because I feel in the future it's going to be a tool that everyone uses. Everyone in America already uses it and it's such a normal thing. We're just a little bit behind in the UK, but I believe that mentality and the message that we put out there will enable people to get the guidance that they need and to stop doing it so hard. It's a new movement and mentality counselling is there for you if you want to join in and make the most out of your life and stop being hampered by thoughts and feelings that you want to clear up. Go on to mentality.co.uk forward slash counselling to make a difference. You know, going back to that thing about the truth and, you know, I love my mindfulness and meditation and I try and get you into it in some avenue. 
uh, all the, all the time. But I think the main you know main premise of what we're talking about here is that we all have anxieties and we all have these worries, depression, and we all have fluctuations of how we feel as human beings, right? We're living in a life as sometimes you live in societies where that's just not allowed or it's not a thing, which is just it's just bonkers if you ask me. And then I feel like if we're living it and if we're, we're feeling these things, then what we're talking about there, you're talking about going to the gym and you're talking about opening up and speaking about it. It's literally how we respond to it mm. because there's almost no choice. I can't, I woke up today and I felt anxious, right? I had no choice of me waking up today and feeling that tension in, in my chest, right? And I had no choice of, it wasn't a weakness. I didn't wake up and think, I'm going to feel anxious today, so I don't do no. anything. And do you know what I mean? It's like, you don't, you don't have, you know, there's no choice. Your, your nervous system is pretty much your brain, right? Your nervous system runs throughout your body and it's, and it takes all of the f momentum of the world, the where we are, who we speak to, it shapes it and it remembers it and it brings stuff out and it makes you feel stuff. So these things are always moving. You know, you feel good, you feel bad. They're, they're always moving. I think it's how we respond to it. And I saw an amazing, amazing quote by, um, he's a Buddhist monk actually, Cheat Nat Han is called. And um, this is what is just brought up in my, in my mind, thinking about it. And he's talking about Buddhist monks are no different to normal people, quote unquote, right? They suffer as well, but they don't look upon good feelings as flowers and bad feelings and suffering is garbage. They water the same, they water the feelings and bring them on as if they were a flower and nourish them just as if they're, they're all good. And I know it's all a bit flipping airy-fairy and up in the sky and, and up in the clouds, but I think that, think about how we respond and how we see this, these feelings and anxieties. You know, as soon as you accept that you're suffering, and you can just like breathe into it and just truly just sort of like allow it to happen. And it takes its power away. And it's like, why why do we not live in a society where we're taught to manage it? Well, I mean, you can't, the thing is you can't escape it. No. You can't, you can't run away from it. You can't push it away. Yeah, you know, we can't run off to some remote island and just go sit there. No. Because it's still going to be there because then you'd be anxious about what you've done and all the rest of it. Yeah. You know, and, and I sort of get, I get the quote. And one of the things that I've been trying to do through counselling is turn the positives into a negative. Mm -hmm. uh, sorry, negative. turn the negatives into a positive. So if I wake up and my guts are all in knots and I don't feel great, think about all the bits that I do feel good about, yeah. you know, like my wife's still there, you know, I'm going to work, I've got a job, whatever it is, remove the negatives. They're such a small part. Now, it ain't easy. It takes, a, no, you know, no. like as you know, you wake up with a tight chest, like it's, you don't want that, you know. But it doesn't take a lot and you can see how it works by suddenly you can motivate yourself to go back to the gym a little bit. Suddenly those pains are gone. Yeah. You know, but, but you've got to face up to them, you know, and that's why you need support, isn't it? You've got to have yeah. someone. Someone's got, you've got to be able to talk to someone. Um, and it must be awful for them sometimes because, you know, sometimes you can see people don't know what to say back. Yeah. You know, um, my wife, it must be bloody horrible for her when I'm at my lowest because every day listening to me, 
12 hours a day drone on about how shit life is and how I feel and uh, how medically I felt ill and how the doctors haven't got a clue. You know, the strain it then puts on them as well. So, you know, you've got to be willing and able to face up to it and do a little bit yourself, but that needs a good support network, I think, and and not thinking you can just bury it, you know, you bury it. It, it eventually i think it buries you you know you yeah. you, you you eat yourself away and, and my counseling team they they tell you it's because we're cavemen ultimately mm-hmm. you know it's fight or flight your yeah. body becomes tense it, it gets to a point where it can't relax because mm-hmm. that's what we did when we were running away from bloody dinosaurs yeah. and and so i sort of try to put that in this perspective now and i come to work i do my work I enjoy what I do now. You know, I lost a bit of enjoyment for a while and I enjoy what I do and I sort of celebrate my own successes each day. I look forward to going to the gym and doing that bit, see if I can just do that bit more. And I know that some of it's going to flare some up, give me some grief, that not every day is going to be great. But each day there are more positives becoming, you know, as time goes on. And there's the odd down day, and that's making life a lot easier to deal with. Mm. And that's taken, like, it's a good 18-month battle now. I mean, like, I, and I mean a year of that were hell. So this last six months, and now this last three months, and, and it was funny, my wife said to me the other day, because I had five days where I were almost back to 100% myself, mm. and that had been the longest period in that 18 months. And then I had a couple of days where I wasn't so great. But... But that's such a win. It's yeah. five days. Yeah, might not sound a lot. And, you know, to somebody listening who's in that position to realise what that is, that were five days where I felt normal for the first time in 18 months. Now, that were a massive win for me, you know. Yeah. So now I can look back and think, now let's see if I can get six days and then seven days. And I think it's just a shame as a society that it's such it's, it's still stigmatised. Mm. And and it shouldn't be. No, I know. I mean, it, I, you know, I, I feel it, it's an odd one. I feel like the truest test of toughness is is to do the work on the inside. I honestly feel like that, and and to be able to speak your truth, and to be able to move positions and change your opinion and change your mind. Like you might feel anxious in the morning, you might feel shit, and if you're honest and you tell the truth for that, fine. It's mm. probably going to do the the best work to be able to allow you to release it, and because you're accepting it. And then you can feel amazing later. It's just allowing yourself to feel the fluctuations and not pushing away the negatives and and hanging on to the pleasures. You know, I honestly feel like that. And instead of, you know, the toughness where, what are you speaking about? Don't don't be weak and you're pushing it away and you're trying to distract yourself and distract yourself. And then, you know, we hear it all the time and you just said it, Steve, you know, you've got to do vulnerability because vulnerability in the end will will do you, you know, Mm. and... There's, a, there's an amazing um, therapist called Gabor Mate, and he talks about trauma a lot. He talks about growing up through your childhood and talks a lot about, actually, what we're saying here about authenticity and how you've got, you've got to develop authenticity and you've got to be able to speak your mind. And he talks about people pleasing and he talks about people not being true to what they feel and who they are and how this builds up um, and how it... And it, how it manifests itself into basically your body just saying fuck off. Mm. Yeah, you know, his book says when the body says no, you know your body just closes down. Yeah. It 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 tells you it flares up as a signal that 
this is not this this thing needs to change or I need attention or you know it's 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 literally making you take note. His, his work's absolutely amazing. He's a great speaker and he's he's flipping. I'd love to to sit in a room with him and speak to him. But he's even done work and he speaks about work that's been done on. You know, talking about when the body says no about motor neuron disease and and, and ALS and and these these degenerative stuff where it's just it, it it's it, it's like um it's you've got to be authentic you know and it, it, that's that's part of it it's not just being authentic to to feel I don't know I don't know what to feel like I think I think you have to be in life mm. you have to be true to yourself yeah I I, I have and I, I I won't say who it is and I can't say who it is but. You know, we all have bosses in life, as here as an example, who will try and tell me that sometimes you have to try and, for a better way, to be false. Mm. I, throughout my entire life, I've been pretty outspoken. I say it as it is, and yeah, that offends some people, and it don't others, but but it's been truthful, and mm. and you know, people are truthful to me, and I take it on the chin, yeah. and I am true to myself, and if that means. I'm going to say something that someone doesn't like. Mm. I, I'm not going to wrap it up in cotton wool, but I don't want to bash them into the ground with it. You know, yeah, I want, yeah. I want, I don't have a luxury in life of being able to just say, well, that's fine when it ain't fine. What's mm -hmm. the point? You know, and I think that's, you have to be true to yourself and that manifests people in every different way. Yeah. And yeah, I can be true to myself. I can be direct. Yeah. I've upset people. But but I also have a huge amount of compassion and mm -hmm. and 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 help a lot of people. Yeah. And and I think in being true to yourself, that's who you are. And people yeah. are all different. We're all different people. It doesn't make one person right and one person wrong. But I think to create a false demeanor of yourself, it's the biggest injustice you can do in life. Yeah. Well, there's absolutely no point. And people see through it a mile off. And and I have someone who I know, his life's one big. It's a joke because mm -hmm. he's he's who he is, and I can see it. But to everybody else, think he's a different person, and and he isn't. And mm -hmm. one day that'll catch up on him, mm -hmm. and and that's life. Yeah. And, and I think if you're true to yourself, yeah, you people maybe won't want to be a friend or won't like being around you. I've sat on boards where I've been outspoken, and it's helped them as businesses. I've sat and spoke to people who are starting businesses where I've been outspoken, and they've decided. I'm the wrong person to help them. Or mm -hmm. I've been with other people who have embraced what I've said and come back and thank me after. And and you're not going to please everybody in life. And I think that's just life. Yeah. And, and not everybody's going to please me in life. And I'm not going to please everybody in life. Yeah, but man. but I'll be true to myself. You get lost, don't you? If, you're, if you step into it and you're pleasing people and you're making decisions that are based on how you want people to think about you or how, how far you want to advance up a ladder, you you are losing what you truly want to do anyway. You know what yeah. I mean? It, whether it's when you're embraced with money and, and fame and accolades and stuff, but if it's with this mask or with this sort of way that you go about life where it's not true, then it's all empty anyway, isn't it? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not worth... Well, I mean, you know, as, as, as a rugby player, you're judged on your skill. Mm. But like, there's no faking it. You're yeah. either good or you're not good yeah. or you're the best. You, you can't fake that on a pitch. Well... You, you, there's not much you could fake on a pitch, you know. But behind the scenes in any business, in management of rhinos or in the management of an hotel or any business, there are some absolute grovellers mm. who spend a life saying yes to everybody, nodding like a donkey, 
and not being true. Mm. And eventually they get found out and you, you'll have seen it at the Rhinos. I've seen it in business. I just be honest with yourself and be honest with other people. Mm. Like you'd have to be nasty to be honest, you know, no. do people want to hear it sometimes? No, probably not. No. But, but being honest with yourself is, is probably one of the key things I think in, in depression and anxiety, actually being honest with yourself, mm. uh, accepting that that's what's wrong with you. Yeah. That's the first thing you've got to do. If you, mm. if you turn around and say, well, I'm not, and you are, mm. well, you're never going to deal with it. I think so honesty is a huge part of what you do, and honesty in life is, isn't it? Just just being yourself, being yeah. true to yourself. Yeah. And, and yeah, it can be hard, mm. but no one said life's going to be easy, did they? But no. there's a lot more positives in my life and negatives like 10 to 1 easily you know maybe even more and i think there are in most people's lives if you look at it like that but a lot of people become embroiled in thinking it's the right thing to grovel to someone to to you know for better word lick their ass or whatever but yeah. it, it eventually they fall off that ladder mm. and then they're at the bottom and and it costs them a lot you know yeah. ultimately so i think being honest with yourself and being true to yourself if it loses you a few friends, they weren't friends. Mm. That's how I look at it. Mm. And if that means I can't become the chief executive of a huge company because people just don't like what they say, well, that's fine. And, you know, that's just how it is. Yeah, I won't no. be, but but I'll be happy doing what I do. Mm. What is it? Is the old that, that scares you, Steve, or is it that you're fearful of as you're getting older or, like, you know, in life? No, not really. I mean, I'm enjoying putting aside what I've gone through, I've enjoyed my life. There's still a lot more I want to do. I'm, mm. I'm lucky I've got, well, I'm reasonably fit and healthy again. And I'm, I, no, I'm looking forward to, to. I, I'm quite looking forward to retiring, if I'm being honest, when yeah. I get around to it. Yeah. Because what? I, because I want to go off and explore and still do things and touch wood if, if my fitness is up to it. And no, there's not, as long as I have all my faculties about me and I'm able to go and do things, mm -hmm. I'll be absolutely over the moon because there's lots I want to do like later in my life. And, you know, exploring, I, 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 no, I, I've got a great outlook on life. Mm -hmm. You know, as you, as you know, I tried to start playing rugby again at 50. That didn't end well. But if I think I can have a crack at it, I'll have a crack at it. And why not? You know, what's what's life there for if you can't? Yeah. And I love taking on new things and doing new things, you know, whether yeah. that be visiting new countries trying new foods music mm. jumping out of a plane whatever it is it, if it's something i want to do then then no i'm not I, there's nothing i would be apprehensive of having to go out and i yeah. there's a lot there's a lot i want to do do you feel like there's another you feel like you've had a wave of purpose or anything over the last few years you know you're talking about you know the the sort of base that you've created and, and the people that you've got around you lately like and the stuff that we've spoken about, I don't know if it's along those lines, it might be somewhat completely different, but do you feel like there's a, a sort of purpose or do you feel like there's a need that, that you want to fill in life going forward? I think one, one, one of the things that, you know, I've got my own industry and I think it's, it's in crisis and I as an individual can't change that. I can, I, I can, I can do my bit for it and I'm doing some work at the moment to, to to look at how as an industry we actually can improve the prospects of people that want to come in it i think mm. it's i think it's underlooked you can do really well in it it's got a good career path 
it's not in the hotel industry we're talking about. Yeah, yeah it's not it's, it's not as bad. So, so you know, one of my aspirations is as I get older to use my experience of how I've come through from being a chef to go to university to ending up in a senior position. You know, and I've managed some good properties and I've worked all over the world with it. So uh, I want to try and give a little bit back into the industry and see if can do something to try and help. But that is a big task because it needs a lot of the people involved. And I'm trying at the moment to just try and do some bits to encourage people instead of looking backward on this industry to look forward. One of that is working with the prison service where I'm about to go in November um, to look at some convicts who need help getting out of the cycle they've got in and, and coming into this industry. And some people think probably, well, you're mad in your head, but people deserve a second chance in life. And, and, and if I can help that, that's fine. And also looking at school leavers, I do some work with Beckett's university on it. So I, I want to try and promote this industry a little bit yeah. better. That's meant changing my own management style. It's meant changing how we pay people. It's meant changing the development programs that we do here, putting them on a four-day week. So there's lots we can do, and I want to try and get that a little bit further out there. But one of my great aspirations that I've had has come through being involved with sport. I mean, I've always been sporty. I've always knew, known some high-level sports people, you know, from a lot, a lot of different sports. But the one thing that really opened my eyes it is, as I'll call it, the coming together with Rugby League. And it isn't that I think I can change how Rugby League works or runs. That doesn't interest me in that much. But actually, the welfare of the players does. Mm. And I've sat with a few ex-players, few players who are looking at business. And, and I think there's a lot can be done for Rugby League whether that's Rugby League Cares, whether it's through mentality, through, through wherever, I'm really keen to to look at how players can be better supported, not so much in rugby, but in life, mm. and look at the options available to them and, and the advantages of starting doing that young and not leaving it too late, mm. and looking at where you're not investing, and I'm not a financial investor, mm. but looking at what business aspirations you would have because there's some fantastic examples of people who have done really well and of some absolute calamities. And I think that, that it needs rationalising mm. and, and it needs almost them picking up at 16. I am having some talks with different people and I've had little discussions with people. And I think that for me, because I've seen what can happen to players and how it can then affect them. You know, suddenly you go to work one day, you get the worst tackle in your life, you can't play anymore and you've got no plans. Mm. What do I do? But if at 16 you'd started those plans, you'd have some plans. And I yeah. think that includes education, picking something that you might enjoy that you didn't do. I know there's nothing new in it. I just don't think it's done well. Mm. And I don't think it's enforced within the clubs. I think it should be part of everybody's contract that they agree to undertake development out with a rugby as part of being a professional rugby player. Mm. And I, I mean, think, in the NFL, they've got to go to university, haven't they? Well, I don't know, but I yeah, think that's, I think drafted. for me, if they do, it's absolutely the right thing mm. so that you have got things at the end of it and that you can start to apply that while you're doing it. You know, and the work that Gareth and Blackie are doing here to do with elite athletes, the, the same stories with some of those guys at the scene, you know, they've got horrendous injuries that quite clearly is going to debilitate them from being where they wanted to be as an elite sports person. And and none of them have a clue what they're going to do in life. You know, and these are people in their early 20s. 
And, you know, for the, for the best programs that they put together and the work that they do are getting them back, there's got to be a view, well, what do I do to earn a living from now on? Because, unfortunately, we're not all going to be in the position of being the Kevin Sinfields of the world, the Brownleys, all that. Mm. There's such a minute percentage of people mm. who reach that pinnacle in sports in general. And, and I think the careers and what they can do and how they can be be developed as part of an ongoing programme is so important. And, and it seems to be more common than I ever thought of meeting people from so many sports that they've put everything into sport and not thought, what happens if I don't make it? Mm. Well, how many of us really make it? And how, how long do you make it for? And how long you know? does it last? Yeah. You know, and are there many sports that you can play when you've gone past your mid-30s that are competitive at that level mm. that money's involved in? And the answer is not really that many that we can name or that you'd probably want to play darts, probably maybe, you know, or snooker. Yeah, that, you know, that'd be a good progression, wouldn't it? But, you know, but but there are some fantastic career paths. And, and you know, all sports people have one thing in common. They're incredibly, incredibly self-disciplined. You know, they're good at managing the self. And within there, is there a manager that's bursting out that can manage other people? And do we rely on the experiences of people enough that have gone through this? I don't think we do. In helping people and dealing with people and working with people like you, like Blackie and other people, I, I think there's a route there for people. And it's not about making money or ripping people off. It's actually about getting clubs and the governing bodies to take responsibility for the people that they're putting this pressure on. But there's an outlet at the end of it other than what they're just doing that they're focused okay. on. And I'm not saying some of them don't do that because I think some of them do and do it well. But there's a damn sight more don't do it well mm. than do. And some of the advice they give people, particularly that I've heard from Rugby League, it, it, in no other world could you get away with it. You'd be held liable. So I think there has to be a level of responsibility. Yeah, man. I love it. I love it. I think this has been class, mate. Good. It's been good. I enjoyed it. Yeah, man. I think we'll... Uh... I think we'll have many updates, mate, to be honest, what you're talking yeah, about. Yeah. I think there's going to be a lot of updates. I think things are going to progress. Things are going to get better. I mean, it's something that is very live for me at the minute, you know, this the concept of player welfare or the person welfare. It's, it's very live for me, and I think it, it's current. The discussions around concussion, or the starting point is always on the well-being of the people playing it, playing this sport. And I think... You know, we have caps on salary and how much you can earn, but you don't have caps on the trauma or the the contacts that you can. No, but it's immeasurable, isn't it? And you know, you know my view on on concussion. I'm I'm not a doctor. I'm not medically trained. And when you hear the thud of two people's heads that go head to head, head to head on a pitch of rugby league, and you see how that they can't get up, the fact that they're allowed to even stay on the pitch is in itself a crime. You don't need to be medically trained. And I know you as a player, other people, you know, Brett Delaney, yeah, you all want to carry on mm. because that's how you're built. That's that's that inbuilt mechanism from being a kid that somebody's going to knock me, I'm going to get back on knock them harder. That's what makes yeah. you good at what you do. But actually what it needs is somebody on the sideline to say, get him off. Yeah. And drag you off and they don't let you. And, you know, that's the crime. And you don't even need to be a bloody doctor to know that that cannot be doing anybody any good. And then a few weeks later, you're back doing it again and again and again. But what people don't see is that behind the doors, you're doing it in training, you're doing it in the combat room. And there's no relentless, you know, there's no let up. I think the sport is becoming alert to it. But it's not fast enough. Yeah, there's no, there's no, you're right, mate. There's no drop off. There's no let up on... 
the amount of contacts that you do or yeah the 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 limit that you can push you and, and there's never going to be a limit that teams will self impose because they're just they're caught up in their own fear of success and their own jobs and you know it needs to be a mandate it needs to be something that the government put in place as as a you know sort of a contact limit you know that this it's going to have to be because everyone needs to everyone just wants to play a fair playing field you know in, yeah, in I mean, it, you know i have one of these people that think you can modify the rules or stick an head guard on everyone or a gum shield that measures the impact so suddenly that's going to solve it because it isn't i think it's just the realization that if someone suffers even if it's a suspected head trauma there should be a much much stricter and stringent protocol in place to protect that player more from himself because yeah. you all want to get back on there. You know, you're like bloody Jack Russells that see a rat. You just want to go after it. I mean, and I know from meeting people, but people you need someone to say, actually, you're sidelined for a couple of weeks. We need to run some more tests. Mm -hmm. and, and, and there's got to be that responsibility for a better word mm -hmm. because all the players I know that get stuffed and run back on the pitch and won't think about it. But suddenly then when it happens and it's a realisation that it's caused damage and we don't know what long-lasting damage it does medically, we know that there's some medical research now saying actually it can be quite well, significant. You know, it's, um, it's causing CTE. You know, it's causing, it, it, you know, it could be leading to early dementia and other things. So, you know, I think that has to be taken seriously and we want the sport to remain. I love both codes of rugby, as you know, and I, and I want to see them played at the best level they can be and as compared as they can. And you can't go down the route of my team, the Masters, where there's all these restrictions because nobody go watch no, it. Yeah. But there has to be a duty of care that's, that, by that's the sport the, and the employer. That's the only thing that, that I think, you know, that the, the limiting contacts and stop stop everyone doing it fucking willy-nilly. And then, yeah, more holistic, more woven in welfare into the environments, you know, and I think that... That could go into corporate well-being. That could go into to everywhere. You know, that into high performance. You know, I'm I'm, I'm interested in high performance that's sustainable now. You know, I'm not interested yeah. in anything that, that 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 burns people out and that relies on the conveyor belt. You know, I think it's um it's important that people get cared for and listened to and heard. Um, you know, all. all all employers, it doesn't matter who they are. I mean, if you take a chef for an example, if he slices his finger off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's going to be investigation into how we did it. The health and safety executive is going to come in and look at it. If you can't return to work, you're probably going to end up paying out quite a lot of money in compensation because, in theory, he's going to end up part of his career. There's a responsibility as an employer, mm. and and so the same has to be applied into rugby. Mm. And if you're going to put people in a position purposely, knowing that they're not right. I think you should be held accountable. And, and that's not just about heads. It can be any part of the body for me. If you know someone is injured or is suffering or has received a blow to the head or whatever it is, as an employer, you should be held accountable if that person then's career is threatened and put at an end because of it. Mm -hmm. And then they'd realise. And, and I think that's down to the size of the squads, as we said before. But but the, but the, the season's too long. It, 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 the whole thing Good needs looking at. And, and compared to 25 years ago, the level of athleticism now and, and the physiques, the strength for these players, 
it's incredible. I mean, like the 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 so athletic, you know, the guys that I know you and, and that I've trained within the gym, the power behind these people. It's not like like when I when I were playing it and you know, it was a fat guy. There's a, lot less well. There's a lot less space to move and run now. No, and people are on you the, in, the, in a second. The, the, the faster, powerful, mm. and the impacts are, are way, way, like it's not as rough and as dirty, mm. but but the impacts are the thing that's causing the damage to people, the stress that is put on your body, and then the need to bring young players through too quickly, get them on a pitch where they're up against guys that are seasoned, that absolutely clatter them and know that they're clattering them. And it's breeding a level of fear into that person. Then they pick up a little injury and then it's a downward spiral. And and there's lots of players that I know that, that have had good professional careers in front of them that are now facing the fact that they can't any longer play in Super League, that they've suddenly got to drop down the level just to maintain a career. And actually really the truth is they really shouldn't be playing professional rugby but the pressure's there for them to do it and they have to do it and, and that's wrong as an employer as a sport and it ain't just rugby league obviously there's other there's others but there's lessons to be learned and, I, and I just that? think it's responsibility it's nothing more responsibility and if you, have, if you have to remodel your business to look at the number of games that are played that the money it gets if you feel that it's right to be dictated to by Sky Sports for the money that they put in there fine look at it let's look at what we can do you know Let's look at other routes to marketing. Let's make that game a bit better so there is more money so that that welfare can be better. But until they do that, they're going to struggle. Yeah, man. Love it. Thank you, brother. Cheers, my friend. Legend.